right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Alright? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320-KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. The countdown continues on. Three days away from the first KU football game. In fact, by the time we get to the end of this show, we'll be about uh, three days and an hour away from KU South Dakota. Pre-game at 5.30. First kick at 7 o'clock. Hear it all right here on KLWN. And again, we're going to be doing a live show at a Mama's Tamale shop. who's going to have awesome food and drink specials. It's right before you go into the stadium over at like 9th in Mississippi, 9th in Louisiana. In that range, check out the outdoor patio. Come say hi to us. So cool stuff there. You're going to want to come on out. We're going to have free stuff to give away. Still no idea who the starting quarterback is going to be for KU. Every day, every minute we get closer, I wonder if, you know, maybe we're going to get a surprise and all of a sudden there is going to be a starting quarterback name. But not the case as of yet. South Dakota does have a starting quarterback for the game. They didn't have to make as big of an announcement because their guy who started all four of their games last year, or shouldn't even say last year, last season because it was in the spring, is back. That would be freshman quarterback Carson Camp. But It has been at least, you know, subtly announced by South Dakota that he will be starting at the quarterback position. And as far as just breaking down what KU is going to be going up against with South Dakota quarterback, you know, not his first year played. He is a freshman, but because the COVID year didn't count, also he only played four games. I don't know if you can get a red shirt that way. He is technically a freshman, even though he has four games of action. He completed 63% of his passes last year, had over 240 yards per game, three touchdowns to four interceptions. He also had one rushing touchdown, but he had negative rushing yards due to sacks. And again, not a surprise, Carson Camp being the starter for South Dakota. He was the starter in the spring. So maybe that's the big difference between KU not naming a starter yet and South Dakota having theirs is that South Dakota had their starter the final or their their entire season in the spring, even though it was a shortened season for four games. Maybe that's the difference. But still, I think it is a little bit ironic and a little bit silly that the FCS team here has their quarterback named for the game, but KU hasn't named theirs, which seems to be a play for a strategic advantage. Yet South Dakota's not doing that who's the team who's going to be the underdog and is the FCS team. Like, shouldn't it be the other way around? Or maybe this is just more reason to say why? Like, what's even the strategic advantage here, you know? I I, I, I just have been very vocal about the point that I don't really get the strategic advantage thing. I don't think it is that much of a strategic advantage. I think there's more to be gained from just hype building around the program. And maybe that's what it is. 
Lance Leipold talked about yesterday the fact that, you know, we're still having discussions when we're going to name him. Maybe part of what it's uh, what's at play just comes down to, hey, if Miles Kendrick is the starting quarterback, then we're going to wait till the last moment to name him. If it's Jason Bean, we'll name him right now because he's the new shiny toy. He is the fast, athletic, high-potential quarterback that hasn't seen failure at KU because he was successful at North Texas prior to coming in this year. If he's the guy, he's going to be the quarterback, the the most of the three, because, again, we haven't seen him fail, quote-unquote, with Kansas. He's going to be the guy that's going to, I would assume, get the most fan hype attached to it, the most excitement from the fan base to see what this guy has just because you haven't seen it yet. And maybe that has to deal with, you know, ticket sales and just hype of watching the game or being interested around it. And if that's the case, then you probably want to announce that earlier. I, I don't know if that would actually go into a decision or not, that's just me complete speculation of trying to figure out why. Like, why would that be a discussion right now? What is being discussed about, hey, we need to decide when we're going to name the quarterback? Like, is it just about you don't know when the one guy is going to firmly emerge? Or it's just a close enough race that it's going to take every day? Or is there something else like that? I, I have no idea. I just still think it's funny. If KU does have that guy and they they know who they are going to start and they haven't announced yet, that, again, just seems silly to me and you compare it to South Dakota who has named their starting quarterback. We've been doing our positional previews, and today we'll get to our linebackers, which is a very interesting group, a group that struggled a season ago. No way to mince words about that. And one that seems to be in a much better position this year than last year, just in terms of depth. I mean, Nick Channel was starting games, a former walk-on who has sensed, earned his scholarship, but he's not listed as he's an or, so he's you know technically second string or two and a half string, whatever you want to call it. And a guy who got some pretty rave reviews over the course of this offseason. For that to be your backup now, I think shows you have a lot more depth in this group than you had the last couple of years with Les Miles at the helm. But it's a positional group that doesn't just need more depth, which it might have this year. It needs more frontline ability. And overall for the defense, it's all connected. Everything matters, but they have to play a better part in this defense overall. I mean, you think about the connectiveness for everything, right? If you get into these third down and mediums, third down and longs more because you stop the run with the defensive linemen we talked about yesterday and the linebackers today, then all of a sudden the defensive linemen like Kyron Johnson can rush the passer more and your secondary is going to be more successful. Whatever it is, KU will be looking for defensive improvement overall this season. Here was Chris Borland at KU Media Days discussing the defense as a whole. Yeah, yeah, basically, you know, we're a, we're a four down front. Um, we have, we play multiple coverages behind that. Um, and, uh, you know, we have some you know, we have some it's zones coverages, it's man com- coverages, it's combinations things. There's 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 blitz game, you know, various various blitz things, and obviously we have different packages that we evolve to, different personnel packages based on a lot of things. But our our concepts generally stay the same. So uh, I think once you learn the basic core of it, the other things that we branch off into are pretty easy to grasp because it can always hey this is new, but it's it's just like this other thing that we already know. So 
Uh, and again, it's uh, I think it's sound defense. It's it's uh, it's it doesn't change a whole lot week to week. It's not like we've got to invent a bunch of new defenses every week. It'll it'll line up to everything. Got a chance versus everything. And, and again, that's what we want guys to get maximum repetitions, uh, doing doing similar things week to week. That's how they learn. That's how they can play fast. I mean, just from a schematic standpoint, it's it's nothing that you know jumps off the page. Like we're going to be doing all these crazy play, but. KU doesn't need that. They need something simple. They need something that they can just rely on. This this is how they operated during the Orange Bowl season. There's something to the fact of being simplistic, and then once you kind of master that, you can have little branches of this. But just knowing what you do each and every play, and it's going to be basically the same with a few slight differences that you're going to tweak to the team you're playing, it becomes a little bit easier to manage, and especially in year one, I would imagine, will make for an easier jump. I mean, they overall, KU gave up 46 points per game last year. There was 128th of the 128 teams that played. Opposing teams averaged 5.8 yards per carry. They gave up 459 yards per game. They gave up 6.6 yards per play. That's about three yards more per play than the offense was getting. And they weren't getting turnovers either. KU ended up with more turnovers than they got back. So there's a lot of things the defense can obviously do better. Now, part of those numbers, if you're just looking at raw numbers, are going to be contributed by the fact that the offense isn't putting you in good situations, whether it's just three and outing and you getting tired late in the game because you're on the field so much more, or giving up short fields, turning the ball over, leading to easy points the other way. All that's true. But even if that stuff wasn't true, what are we talking about here? Instead of giving 46 points per game, you're giving up 38, right? So the defense has a ways to go. And I wonder how big of a jump that can be. Now, you also got hurt last year just statistically on the defensive side of the ball because you played an all-Big 12 schedule minus one out-of-conference game, and that one out-of-conference game was a top-20 opponent. So that's not going to help the stats either, and you're going to have now a South Dakota game and a Duke game to maybe help those numbers overall. I just wonder how much overall as a defense they can improve from a season to season. I mean, typically we see the biggest jumps in terms of like points allowed per game from one season to the next. It could be anywhere from five to maybe 10 points per game. And if KU gives up 10 less points per game, yes, that would be a drastic improvement, but they'd still be giving up 36 points per game. We'll have Jesse Newell on of the Kansas City Star tomorrow. He predicted in his latest piece in the Kansas City Star, five bold predictions for KU football. You should go check it out. But one of them is that they're going to go up 40 points or more in the season. And that's what's interesting here. They could give up exactly 40 points per game, and that'd be a six-point, a touchdown improvement from what it was a season ago. So the issue here with the defense is that I think there will be a lot of improvement. It's just how much can how much ground can you make up in one season? How much improvement can there be in just the one season? Which then puts more pressure on the other units to be good. Yeah, you know, if you're giving up 36 points per game, we have seen Texas Tech teams that maybe give up 36 points per game and because their offense is so good, they still find a way to win four or five games. And I think, you know, if you won four or five games this year at Kansas, you'd be more than happy. 
But I don't know. Maybe part of the offense will help the defense, right? If you're running the ball more, using up more clock, maybe you can give up 32 points per game. I just wouldn't bank on it. You're probably looking at, you know, like Jesse had it around 40. That's still a touchdown improvement. If you get anywhere between 35 and 40, that's a big improvement, even though it's still probably going to finish last in the conference. So it's tough to figure out. But that means there is more on the offense special teams. Special teams has to be good, not just to help the defense and give them longer fields to work with, but the defense also has to be good, or excuse me, the special teams has to be good to try to get the offense in better situations. And then the offense needs to have longer sustaining possessions, but also score more. You only averaged 16 points per game last year, 124th of 128 teams. You averaged under four yards per play. You turned the ball over, over one and a half turnovers per game. That's too much. 2.7 yards per carry as a team. It just wasn't good enough. You averaged 16 first downs a team while you gave up 23. So there is a lot to overhaul on the offense, too. And again, the best offense we've seen at KU, their typically offense is averaging in the low to mid-20s over the last decade. Can you get into that high 20s range? I think that's probably too much to ask for this year. So what are we looking at? Even if Kansas has a touchdown improvement in terms of points per game, they'd be up to 23. If they have a touchdown improvement defensively, they'd be up to giving up 39. They're still getting outscored 23 to 39. It doesn't leave for a ton of necessarily games that you're going to win, but maybe it makes it so that there's a lot more competitive games in there. But as far as the offense, here's Andy Kotelnicki talking about his offensive plans this season. So what you have to do, and I think this happens every camp, every year, we talk about what you have to install. One of the hardest things I think to do, especially from a coordinator standpoint, is to hypothesize and project what you're going to need week one, what you're going to need week five, what you're going to need week ten, right? Okay, and so on. And that's predicting the future, which isn't easy, right? Um, so you make sure that whatever you install, what you do, it's executable for your players, right? Okay, and you certainly, obviously, the personnel that you have needs to be able to do what you're doing. We've always been able to be flexible enough schematically because of how multiple we are to have certain packages grow based off of our personnel and you know who's available and who's not. Um, but to your point, there are things that you say, do we really, you think you ask hard and you say, do we really need this now? Or is this something that we can wait till maybe the bye week to install or after week two to install? Okay, so you have those questions and you kind of reflect on them. I guess through the years, going into this year 16 here coordinating, I've learned and kind of whittled it down to the point of saying we need this to win, right, regardless of who we're playing. And certainly in, you know, looking at the Big 12 and the league and the kind of defenses we're going to see and face schematically, you know, studying those. So, so that, of course, is going to have some, you know, some impact on the, the sort of plays that you want to install and rep. But it really comes down to it's really not going to be the scheme. It's going to be about how we do those things. You know, it really it will be. It will be. And that's what we're doing out there in the field. And more specifically, one way that the players have been describing it, that Andy Kotelnicki describes it, for the offense, they're looking to be a six-headed dragon. Yeah, so you have your core plays, which won't open up the whole playbook here for you, okay, for the opponents, but but you say, here are the six things that we're going to master, and we're going to be able to do them on any personnel grouping, any formation, any kind of motion, any kind of tempo. We're going to do these six things, and we're just going to keep doing them over and over and over again. So going back to, hey, what do we install, what do we do, you go back to saying, here's what it is. Here's the base offense. We know we need that. We know this is going to be good against all these defensive schemes. Okay, it's going to cover all the bases. Let's get good at it. You know, I just just talked to the offense yesterday about, you know, repetition and consistency is not the enemy. It feels like it sometimes, 
but doing it over and over and over again is not the enemy. And that is what we've been, been, been preaching and doing. And as far as that wide zone scheme that we've heard so much about, this is actually where Andy Kotelnicki got that inspiration from. My first exposure to was was uh, the uh, the late 90s Denver Broncos. Okay, Terrell Davis and all those cats, right? And I, I share this with the offense, too, about how um, how many Hall of Famers played on that, that team, right? from the quarterback to the tight end, the receivers and backs, right? Probably served plenty of linemen. And uh, I first was exposed to that when I was uh, 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 at Western Illinois University and uh, started to get that taught to me about why and the advantages of it. Um, the league that we, we play in here in the Big 12 and the skill set of our personnel really benefits from being able to distort and create some stretch against the defense. It's a run scheme that we know how to block against every front, and every, every, you know, every coverage. All of the, thing, the things that complement the run play, the stretch package as we call it, are big play opportunities, okay, potential for us to be able to be explosive with it. So it's something that we're majoring in for sure. So I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm buying the fact that there's going to be major improvement for KU on the offense, for KU on the defense. But after looking at where they were last year, it is pretty sobering to come away with this and say, yeah, even if they're a touchdown better on offense and a touchdown better on defense, where does that put you? But who knows? Maybe because last year was a weird year with COVID. Maybe because last year you didn't play your two extra non-con games to make those stats maybe look a little bit better. Maybe there is more room for improvement this year than in a normal year. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's, you know, washing all the germs out, you want to get, obviously, the germs out of your car. But also, you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. Twenty minutes till the top of the hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, joins us now on the show. So, Matt, this will be your final appearance on RCST before the first game of the KU football season. So, any final guesses as to who the starting quarterback will be and when we will find out about it? Wow. Um... It's such a hard one, man, because I, I don't, I mean, I don't feel like they've given us any real indication, right? No, and so, and that's okay. I mean, I don't think they're wrong for doing it that way. Um, I, as I've told you before, I think that, I think that the evaluation remains ongoing. I think it could continue even into week two, week three, week four. And, and I know that sounds a little David Beatty-ish, you know, um, you got to earn it and all that stuff. But, but I think it's fair with these guys. I think, I think, uh, I think this coaching staff had, 
limited time with these guys. And so if it takes them a little longer to pick the right guys at all positions, not just quarterback, but, you know, the the the, the goal is to pick the right guy. And, and it's not to do it quickly or not to do it before someone else or anything like that. It's to, it's to make sure that you do what you need to do, evaluate how you need to evaluate to pick the right guy. And so if that takes into the season, so be it. Um, obviously they have to pick someone to start on Friday night. So, you know, that, that I, I guess what I'm saying is just don't read a ton into that. It's probably likely that that's the guy they would like to see go the rest of the way. But, you know, don't, don't think that that means it's set in stone and that things couldn't change even over the next two or three weeks. So, um, now that I've successfully danced around the question, um, <laughs> I, I, to me, I, I, this to me, it, it feels like it feels like it's Miles Kendrick or Jason Bean, and I, I know that might surprise some people. Um, and it's really not a knock on Jalen Daniels. I, I just think that Jalen's still so young, and as much as he did get some experience last year, and there was some value in that, um, you know, it was a wild year, and he had a crappy team around him and a crappy line and that didn't do him any favors in the development areas and things like that. So to me, I, I kind of look at Jalen Daniels as still being maybe a freshman and, and still at the very beginning of his development journey. And also as a guy who you should be excited about down the road. I mean, this is still a kid who, who could end up being a two or three year starter. Um, but maybe it's just not his time yet. And, and maybe that's okay. You know? So, um, now, having said all that, he may be the first one out there on Friday night, and I could be dead wrong. And if that's the case, it wouldn't be the first time. But, um, but, but that's that's the reason that I leave him out of of kind of where I'm at in in guessing right now. Um, I, I love the kid. I think he's a, a a fantastic young man. I think he's a talented player. But um, but but I think it's going to be my guess is that it's it's going to be Kendrick or or Bean, and it really just comes down to. If you want to take the safe bet and, and you want to be, you know, as, as comfortable and, and control as much of this thing as you can, you're probably going to go with Kendrick and you're probably going to ask him to do a lot of handing off and you're probably going to have him throw about 12 or 13 times. And that's it. And, and high percentage throws, um, you know, predicated on success in the run game and, and, and that's okay. That might be enough to win on Friday. That might be more than enough to win. Um, but because I think this team also has uh, such a such a path toward their their run game being a strength, um, you know, there's something that that makes me feel like Jason Bean's still very much alive. So if you're looking for the ceiling guy and the upside guy, and and maybe the guy that that you feel like is the right guy based on your approach to run the football and, and, and be that kind of team. Well, he's the fastest of that bunch. And, and he is certainly a quarterback that's shown he can make chunk plays with his legs. And, and that's something that the defense would have to account for. And, and, you know, that, that makes it even harder when you've got Devin Neal in there and you've got Belton Gardner in there and you've got other running backs with a lot of talent too, you know? So, um, flip a coin for me. I mean, I think I've got it down to those two, and and uh, I, I think KU fans should want to see it be Bean, but I, I don't think everybody should just immediately throw their tickets away and leave if they if they find out that it's uh, Kendrick because he may be what this team needs at this time in order to just kind of create that 
that stability and, and just that, that safe environment where they can kind of worry about the rest of the things that are happening on the field instead of that. So it really is a flip of a coin, but, but I, I think if it were me, this isn't necessarily guessing, but this is if I was the head coach, I would, I would go with Bean. That's what I would do. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, because if, let's say, Miles Kendrick is, I, I wish I could, like, show you talking with my hands. So let's just say, like, Miles Kendrick is, like, a, I don't know, eight or something like that, and Jason Bean is a 7.5, but Miles Kendrick started at an eight in the beginning of the camp. Jason Bean started at a five, and he's rising up. He's heading right. toward that direction, and Miles Kendrick is still a little better right now, but you feel like you have more potential both this year, both long-term, with Jason Bean and he's heading in the right direction, knowing that you're playing an FCS opponent, and I get it, you can't take that lightly when you're Kansas losing three times in the past decade to FCS opponents, but knowing this is going to be, in theory, your easiest game, the one game that you're going to be favored in, do you almost go with the potential play? Just let him hit a home run and see if that builds his confidence. And I mean, then mine as well. There. It's going to be yeah. easier this game than in any other. I don't hate that. I don't hate that at all. And, and, you know, what little I've, I've kind of got to know about Bean is that, I, you know, that wouldn't be a risk, right? It wouldn't, he's not the kind of kid that's going to walk out of that field. Like, let's say they kick butt and they have a great game and he plays well. Like, he's not going to walk out of there going, yeah, I'm the man. Like, I, I don't think that's how he's wired. He seems like a, a pretty down to earth kid. He seems, you know, pretty mature, but also pretty humble. And, you know, I, I don't think you'd have to worry about that being, um, sort of that, that fool's gold type of thing, to borrow a phrase from, from Bill Self. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't have to worry about him thinking, well, that, that was easy. That's how it's going to be? Cool. Because he knows better. He knows playing Big 12 opponents isn't going to be the same as playing South Dakota. So, yeah, I don't think there's a ton of risk in that. And, and yeah, I, I like that approach. I like that way of thinking about it because it's like a lottery ticket, right? You have a chance to, to hit the right numbers, and if you do – man, that could be life-changing. Whereas if you just play it safe and you do like a $5 scratcher, what's the most you're going to win? 50 bucks? I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's okay. Love that's that comparison. That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> On the fly. Hadn't thought of that before that moment. So, I wish uh, you saved that one for writing, don't you? I do, I do. Don't be surprised if it shows up somewhere, though. I mean, you know, you'll roll your eyes when you read it, but half the people that read probably aren't listening right now, at least. So uh, it'll be fresh for them. I, but yeah, it's too good to not not put somewhere. So yeah, don't don't be surprised. And and maybe I'll even give you credit somehow when I do wow. it. Wow, that would be the uh, the biggest day of the year for me if that happened. Uh, we're talking with Matt Tate, <laughs> poor poor man <laughs> of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Well, one thing that that threw me for a tizzy was, and this was your colleague, Benton Smith, asked him about the quarterbacks, Lance Leipold. And one of the things that he mentioned in the answer, he said that it was still being discussed about whether they would name a starter before the game or not. And what what I guess is throwing me for a loop is, like, what's the discussion here? Like, I, I understand being in a quarterback room and being like, well, who should we start? You know, is it this guy? Is this guy better? But whether or not they should name him before the game or not, that that just I I don't understand. Do, do you take that as as they know who it is and they haven't decided when to share that information, or that they just still don't know yet? I guess how do you view that portion of it? Them saying that they're still discussing when to release it. I, I didn't read too much into it. Um, you, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't know if they know. Um, I, I my, the way I read that is that 
if you made Lance decide right then, he would have told you who he was going to pick. Like if you said, oh, hey, by the way, you just slept through the next five days and game time is right now, then I think he could have told you who he would pick. But I don't think he's announced it yet or is ready to announce it yet because he's looking at it as, hey, I still have five days to make sure that that's the decision I want to go with. Because you can't go back on it, right? Like you can, you can change week two and you can change week three and you can do all that, but you know that's not going to be viewed favorably and not going to get this excited. So you only get one chance to make that that first call, and uh, and so I think that that's how I read it. It was kind of a, I know which way I'm leaning, but I'm not going to say anything yet because I want to make sure, and we're going to go through the rest of this week of practice and 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 see if that's still the way we're leaning and, and see if we still feel good about it. And then if we do, we'll, we'll go with it, but they're not announcing it before game time. There's no way. Um, in fact, the, the, my guess is that the scoreboard, when it's got the starting lineup up there, it'll be one of those stupid scoreboard videos where they put all three guys up there and everybody will just roll their eyes because the first one that will be announced will be Miles Kendrick because he's a senior. But everybody will go, oh, it's Kendrick, and then they'll announce the next two and go, oh, here we go. You know, and but but it's okay this time. Like I, I just I can't emphasize enough that it's okay this time because this is a staff that is brand new to to all of these guys, and so they deserve the opportunity to really get a feel for it and a handle on it before they make a decision. Previous staffs who had full seasons with guys, full off seasons with guys, sometimes multiple seasons with guys that, you know, they, even though they are entitled to evaluation periods and things like that too, it, it just seemed like they were doing it as more of a little bit of a gimmick. And, and this one, I don't feel like there's any gimmick involved in this. I think this is about, we want to make damn sure we pick the right guy. That's all we're doing. So give us our time and we'll, we'll put someone out there at seven o'clock on Friday night when, the rules say we have to. So I, I think that I don't blame you for, for wondering what he meant by that, but I didn't take anything more out of it than just him maybe kind of hinting that, that they're leaning some way, but but they still don't really know. Yeah, that's that's probably the most realistic option. I had a theory that what if, and this goes back to you you're talking about you know Jason Bean, if, if you're just talking about bringing up the most fan excitement, the most fan hype around the game, it would be Jason Bean being the starter, just leading up to it. And obviously, at the end of the day, you're just trying to win a football game, so it doesn't matter. But if it does end up being Jason Bean, would it not make more sense to announce who the starting quarterback is before the game if you're trying to build up fan excitement? Um, I hear what you're saying. So you, yeah, you know, announcing Kendrick wouldn't be exciting, so right? And it. so, if you're trying to sell more tickets, if you're trying to get more fan hype around it, if Jason Bean is the starting quarterback, if that were to happen, I feel like it would make more sense to announce it at some point here in the next day or two. <clears throat> That's possible. Um, I definitely see the theory that you're going with, and and you know, you I guess you kind of have to look at it from the other side too. Whereas, what does that do for Jason Bean? Does it put more pressure on him? Does it make him more hype? Does it does it increase the chances of him playing well? Does it increase the chances of him playing poorly? I mean, that's how I would look at it. And I know they do have to think about selling tickets and, and building hype. KU maybe more than any program out there. Um, but I think you still have to look at what, what does it do to the player? Is that good for the team or bad for the team? And 
And I don't know the answer to that. You um, could also frankly, say they, more they, fans they, who are more rabid would be good for helping the performance, though. Yeah, yeah, that, that's for sure. There's no doubt about that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it would make sense. Yeah, it would make sense. I mean, I, I think it always makes sense to announce the guy. I mean, because you want you want fans to to, to follow and and be excited, and you want players and teammates to follow and be excited. And, and But, you know, that's the other thing to remember. Just because we don't know, just because they haven't announced it, doesn't mean that the starting 11 on offense doesn't know, right? They may. Um, and, and it's not like Mike Nowitzki runs out there for the first snap and has no idea who he's going to snap <laughs> the ball to. I mean, and even if that were the case, it probably wouldn't change a damn thing about what he does because he's a, a pro and he's got a job to do and, He'd snap the ball to, to Lance Leipold if he lined up out there. So, well, he might he might actually call a timeout then because he would know that's illegal. And <laughs> Nowitzki seems like a, a heady veteran type of player, so he wouldn't want the penalty. So he would he would probably not snap it. But you get my point. Um, and 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 you know, ultimately, I, I just think that um, the I don't know the whole thing is is it's good that it's ending soon because, you know, you can kind of tell that, that Lance doesn't love talking about this stuff and, and he kind of gets a kick out of the fact that it's, it means so much to people, but it, it does, it does people, you know, m- way more here than at Buffalo. I mean, that's, that's sort of a, one of those, uh, maybe about, maybe of a handful of five or six things throughout this off season and camps that I've kind of noticed that have, have jumped out as sort of a, well, that's something that Lance isn't used to. You know, this is a new level for him. This is a new, new, uh, new game. You know, at Buffalo, not a ton of media coverage, not a ton of uh, attention on that program here. Even with it being Kansas, and even with Kansas struggling so badly over the last eleven years, there's still a lot of interest, there's still a lot of attention, and so there's been a few things uh, that, that aren't bad. I'm not saying they're negative by any means. Just a a fun reminder to him and, and to those of us observing it that like, well, this is still a guy getting used to it too, you know? So um, this quarterback stuff and, and, and us asking every time we get a chance to talk to him, that's, that's part of it. So uh, I think he'll probably be ecstatic when, when game time rolls around because he, he may very well think he won't have to answer that question again for a while. Um, and at that point, it'll be up to him. I mean, if they play three quarterbacks in the game, then he'll answer it on Monday because that's another one that will be asked because you don't know your quarterback then. But I think they're going to find one. I think they're going to stick with one. I, I think they are going to try to, uh, to to create some sort of stability at that position at whatever cost. And, you know, if, if, if they end up going with a guy and he just, you know, vomits all over himself and can't handle it and just completely tanks, they won't stick with him. Nobody would. But short of that, I think I think they'll give a leash. I think they'll give an opportunity for the guy they pick to prove that he's the guy. And maybe he will be. We'll find out. But I'm I'm definitely looking forward to finding that out. I'm looking forward to seeing this team play. I'm looking forward to seeing this coaching staff coach. Uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing does it actually look and feel different? Because to this point – and I think you'd agree, to this point, it absolutely does yeah. and has. But it has to translate. It has to feel and look and be different on game nights. And that doesn't mean you have to go 10-2. and two. You could go 2-10, and 10 and it could still feel and look and be different. And, you know, there's just, there's just a lot 
involved with that. So I, I'm, 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 I think most fans are probably in that same boat. I mean, it's, it's just like the reasonable ones that aren't expecting six wins anyway are, are sitting there going, we've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it. Can we just see it? And then if we do see it, maybe we'll get a little excited. And I think that's exactly where the fan base should be. And if they like what they see on Friday night, I think they should throw their full support behind this coaching staff and this rebuilding project. Um, there's a lot of talent on this team. There's a lot of players to like. There's a lot of hope for the future. But it is still a big-picture process. And, you know, as long as you don't get carried away and start thinking of bowl games happening this year, if they win convincingly on Friday night, then you'll be doing your part, and, and you might as well enjoy the ride. But um, if it looks and stinks and smells the same, I don't necessarily think that that means it's over and, oh, my God, they hired a horrible, horrible guy and he'll never be able to do it. It just means dig in, be a little patient, and, and at least give Lance Leipold the opportunity to show you that his team in November looks different than it does in September. Because if that's the case, you're still on a good path. If in November they, they stink and still look unprepared and, and, and are making mistakes and all that, and that's what you see in the beginning of the year, then, yeah, you can probably uh, gripe and moan as much as you want because that's what you've seen a ton of over the last 10 years, and I totally get it. Um, but, but, yeah, I think that that's what's got everybody exciting right now. It's sort of the unknown, one way or the other, good, bad, or otherwise, the unknown is about to be answered at least a little bit. And then you kind of take it and go from there and see, see what, the, uh, what the ride has in store. He is Matt Tate. He is the $100 scratcher, not the $5 one. Lawrence Journal World, <laughs> KUSports.com, where you can find all of his great work. Matt, thank you so much for the time, as always, and looking forward to talking to you next week about actual on-the-field stuff. Agreed, man. Thank you, and thanks for the reminder on the ticket there. I may have already <laughs> forgotten what that incredible comparison you just need, was. I think so Eminem go. used to write down, like, if he just thought of something, uh, you know, a little verse or a little line on, like, a Post-it note and put it in a shoebox. And he would just, random days, if he couldn't think of anything, pull it out of a shoebox. So that's what you need. Just if you think of good uh, similes or metaphors, put it in a shoebox somewhere. Beautiful. This is the first time in my life I've been compared to Eminem. I don't know <laughs> if that's what you meant to do, but I took it that way. And, and I'm in, man. Uh, talented, talented, talented dude. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he may be a little crazy, I'm, and I'm, hopefully I'm not. But, <laughs> but in terms of creativity and talent, I'm all there. So I'm going to go write that down on a Post-it right now and uh, see if we got a shoebox laying around. Thanks, Derek. No problem. That's Matt Tate, the real Slim Shady, here joining us on Rock Chalk <laughs> Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320, KLWN. One hour down, two to go. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320, KLWN. Four o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320, KLWN. We'll have a further linebacker preview with looking at the starters, looking at some other guys who were Right now on the depth chart, backups, other contributors there. We've also got Kevin Flaherty joining us coming up at 440 here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. As far as the linebacker position, just an overall look, a macro view of this thing for KU this year. Obviously, when you're contributing in the middle of the defense, you're going to have your hands involved in every facet of the defense. 
And so you always would love to have really good linebacker play. That's even tenfold for Kansas, who struggled at this position a season ago. You could argue that the linebackers presented, I guess, the biggest positional weakness from a season ago for KU on the defensive side of the ball. It'd probably be offensive line on the offensive side of the ball last year. It was probably the linebackers last year. And you could maybe argue that you have your biggest questions about the linebacking position of any position group, maybe receiver as well, just because of how much youth you have there, 13 of 16 of the players on the roster underclassmen there. The offensive line, while it was a big question mark and issue a season ago, seems to have gotten better this year. Secondary, you have some young talent. You have some experienced players like Kenny Logan. Talked about the defensive line yesterday, the fact that there is actually some pretty good depth there and, and guys who could emerge into being really good players like Kyron Johnson. Quarterback possession position's obviously a big question, but seemingly with the offense, it's going to be kind of more of a game manager role. The linebacker position and the receiver positions are the two biggest questions. So linebacker being that the defensive side of the ball. And the reason why was last year, it was a bit of a slog for the linebackers. Kansas ranked 96th in the country in rushing grade on pro football focus. And just in terms of the stats, you know, just base stats, it wasn't much better. You have up 236 rushing yards per game. You have up almost six yards per carry. Piece of that is on the defensive lineman who we talked about yesterday, but there's also a big piece of that on the linebackers too. And you add to that that they didn't bring much in terms of their pass coverage as a unit either. So it wasn't just a case of, hey, we're undersized. We're going to be better against the pass than the run. You struggled against both. And that played a key role. Your linebackers struggling, your linebacker group being a thin group. I mean, you were starting Nick Channel last year at certain points, who I actually like Nick Channel. I think he's a really good player to have in that linebacker room. But you're talking about a guy who was a walk-on last year starting for you at linebacker as, I believe, a sophomore at that point. So, I mean, you're talking about a group that was very thin. I mean, a couple years ago, you had Gavin Potter having to play significant snaps and start basically as a freshman, a true freshman, and a guy who had talent and still has talent, but probably a little too premature in a Big 12 school. But yeah, Nick Channel was a sophomore last year, so he's still a sophomore this year due to COVID. You were starting a sophomore who was a former walk-on. You know, we hear that all the time, like guys who are former walk-ons who improve, and then by the time they're upperclassmen, juniors, seniors, they break through, and maybe they're contributing role players. Maybe they do become starters. But to have to go to that last year, and again, like I said, I think Nick Channel is going to be a really good rotational player this year, could end up being a starter at some point later this year or maybe next year as well. So I don't want to turn this into a Nick Channel conversation. It's just the idea that you were really thin at that position a season ago. And overall, you had seven linebackers who played for KU a season ago, classified as linebackers on pro football focus. So that subtracts guys who were playing the edge position, which would count as like a Steven Parker or a Kyron Johnson. That doesn't count guys who were playing like a nickelback role as like a, a safety, essentially. But of those seven linebackers, it was Gavin Potter, Denzel Feaster, Drew Prox, and Jay Deneen 
those four who were the lone players who logged over 100 snaps. Now, Nick Channel got classified as a safety with Pro Football Focus's grades. So I'm just going to include him here because he, with how KU used him, he's going to be a linebacker. He is a linebacker. So that gives you five guys basically to look at, specifically who played a big enough role in terms of snaps played on the defense. So, like, for instance, Taiwan Berryhill had a strong grade, but he only played 50 snaps. So not enough of the guys that I'm just looking at for this specific exercise. Of the guys who were on that 100-snap count and in that, whatever, 100-snap count crew, I guess you could call it, Drew Prox had the best grade, and he had a 60 grade. And that is about average from just looking at things. Like, if you're at a 90 grade, you're, like, basically the best at your position or one of the very best in the entire country. If you're at, like, an 80, that's really good, probably an all-conference player, maybe even an all-American level player at an 80. If you're at a 70, that's a good number to be at for your grade on Pro Football Focus. If you're at a 60, that's about average, maybe slightly above average, but mostly it's it's about average, so that'll work. And then a 50 is about maybe below average, 40 or below or, or below 50. You need to see more there. And Drew Prox being at 60, that was about average, a guy who – Seemed to fit the part of being a Big 12 caliber linebacker, but he was hurt most of the year, as he was the season before. Everybody else outside of Drew Prox, who again was injured most of the year, was at a 46 or below. Very much not great. Now, as far as how those grades spill out, to show you an idea of what led to the struggles, of that group of five who averaged, or not averaged, who ended up with 100 snaps or more on the year, of those five players in Potter, Feaster, Prox, Deneen, and Channel, their average grade, you just add up what they each had, 44.8 overall grade. Again, not a great number there. 49.6 against the run, so you're below average against the run. 52.5 grade in tackling, which was the best attribute of them, but still not good enough. You want your linebackers, they're going to be the ones typically around the most tackles, making the most tackles, that you need them to be adept at that avenue of playing defense and the worst of it all was their 39.3 pass coverage grade linebackers were really struggling against the pass so obviously there's plenty of room for improvement that both can happen and that needs to happen for the linebacker unit and when you think of all the teams with strong running games in the big 12 I'll talk more about this with Kevin but, like, when you think about the Big 12 now, and I mentioned this with David Lawrence, yes, there are still high-powered, high-octane passing offenses and offensive overall. But a lot of these offenses, like, actually do have a pretty big staple in the running game now. It's not as much about the air raid or, hey, we're just going to have one running back have 500 yards now. Like, Oklahoma has one of the best running games in the country every year, and they, they should as well with Eric Gray and... Uh, Kennedy Brooks coming back from injury this season for the Sooners. Oklahoma State consistently has a dude, whether it was Justice Hill and then moving on last year to Chubba Hubbard. West Virginia, you have Letty Brown, who had over 1,000 yards in, what, 10, 11 games a season ago for West Virginia. Brees Hall, Heisman candidate at Iowa State. Deuce Vaughn is one of the most electrifying running backs in the country. But John Robinson, same goes for him. He had Averaged over eight yards per carry as a true freshman a season ago, former five-star recruit. And you just go on and on and on down the list. There's so many good running games in the Big 12. 
So knowing that, it's obviously really important to have good linebackers. And then when you struggled so much against the pass, it's important to have improvement as far as that goes. And when you think about being able to unlock some of KU's best potential weapons on defense, mentioned this yesterday with the defensive line, for Kyron Johnson to be unlocked as a pass rusher on third down, you need to stop the run more. And that goes to the defensive line, the interior guys, that goes to the linebackers as well. That's something Lance Leipold's brought up. We need to stop the run here. And so to get in those manageable third down situations, you need the linebackers to play a key role in that and step up. KU had just one linebacker qualify for graded players if you're viewing it, viewing it from like a conference perspective for the Big 12. It's based on snaps played, and you have to meet a certain minimum to be able to rank in the Big 12 top linebackers, right? And 30 Big 12 linebackers qualified for the list. Only one KU player did. There was a lot of, obviously, injury. And again, that depth got tested last year for KU. And Gavin Potter was the only guy who qualified for that. Of those 30 linebackers, he ranked 30th. And so we'll talk about Gavin Potter when we talk about the starters who were listed on the initial KU football depth chart. And he's one of them. And he obviously needs improvement. But I think he was kind of a symptom of not having depth or upperclassmen at that linebacker spot, at least not healthy ones when Drew Prox has been injured the past few years, to where Potter was thrust into a situation where he had to play maybe before you typically would play a kid in the Big 12 at that position. He played right away as a freshman. He had to play a lot last year as a sophomore. His body was still developing. Now under Gildersleeve, you add more strength to him. You add more speed to him. Now he has more experience. I still like his potential, and he was a solid recruit. But that is the key for KU, developing more depth at this position as well as the frontline play. I think you'll get better frontline play from Gavin Potter when I mention everything that he just kind of was thrown in the fire maybe too early, but now as an upperclassman, when you add some more of that stuff and add the experience, I think he will have a much better year, and you definitely need him to. Now, of course, just from a formation standpoint, KU switches over. They were in more of a 3-4 a season ago. Now you switch over to more of a 4-3. And that allows those outside linebackers to either switch to a defensive end or that means you have basically the depth chart of four linebacker positions into three. So in theory, you're creating more depth, more names for less positions on the field. But it also seems like some guys have emerged in camp and that you do have a lot more depth at this position than you had in recent years. There are obviously still clear questions about this position group. And like I said, it's one of the position groups you have the most questions about for KU. Probably the most on defense, maybe the most on the entire team. But there are definitely appearing to be more answers coming up than there were a season ago. More depth coming up for this team, and they need it to for the defense to show vast improvement. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll continue on with our KU linebacker preview coming up on the other side. Five o'clock hour. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We continue on with our KU linebacker preview. Did the some of the contributing role players and players who were listed as, as backups on the depth chart earlier, and we also did our linebacker overview for KU, which kind of the 
summarization of that was the linebacker core was not very good a season ago, but they have more depth now this year, and you hope they have more frontline talent with guys emerging, stepping up, adding new guys, guys adding another year under their belt in a different system now with a 4-3, like many of the other positions. It's hoping for vast improvement from this unit, and I think there should be vast improvement from the unit, but obviously it comes down to how much of a vast improvement. As we are talking about in the open, you know, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on the team's going to be better, the offense will be better, the defense will be better. I think program-wise, you're in a really good shape with Lance Leipold now at the helm from where you've been in the past. I think Lance Leipold will get this turned around. But as far as this year, you're making up such big ground from where you were a season ago, averaging 16 points per game, giving up 46 per game. You could be a touchdown better on offense, a touchdown better on defense, and you're still, on average, losing games 23-39 to 39 in that situation. So like I said, long term, I like where you're at. I think you will be better this year. But the question is, can you not just make a jump this year, but make a massive jump? And the linebackers are a position where... If they were to get a massive jump, that would be a pretty huge boon to the team because they didn't get a ton from the spots a season ago. So in the KU released depth chart yesterday, Gavin Potter, Taiwan Berryhill, and Nate Betts are listed as the starters at the linebacker spots for KU. Uh, Specifically for Betts, his linebacker spot is kind of this defensive back-linebacker hybrid. Obviously, KU switching from... 3-4 3-4 to a 4-3, and the third, it's almost like a 4-2-5, but it's, again, kind of that hybrid role between a DB and a linebacker, which enter on Nate Betts, who was a safety a season ago, bulks up a little bit. Now he is kind of perfect to play that hybrid role. Here is linebacker coach Chris Simpson discussing the guys who are in that mix, and obviously Nate Betts at the top of the depth chart. So um, uh, right now Nate is kind of, yeah, he's, he's working in that, that field outside backer position. Um, and doing a great job of it. Um, we have we have Donovan Gaines working out there. Rich Miller's taking some reps out there. Uh, you know, again because he has the versatility, uh, at least in terms of knowing what he's doing. Uh, and and again, we also have some some sub packages. You know, we got a couple of freshmen that are out there as well, at least learning the system. Uh, I'm not saying that that some of those guys are going to be ready to go this year necessarily, but they're certainly learning. Uh, the system and, and doing a phenomenal job at it. That was Chris Simpson, the linebackers coach. As far as Betts specifically, he's a six foot one, two hundred twenty five pound redshirt senior from Karens, Texas. And just in getting to talk to this guy, he is honestly one of my favorite players on the team. Just when you hear his story and fun to talk to, he's a leader of the team. Older guy has changed positions. Like every year that he's been at KU, and now maybe as a super senior can fill into his best season yet. But again, just his story of where he came from to get here, and he's a guy who has interests off the football field. Really interesting chat. Actually got to talk with Nate Betts at KU Football Media Days about a week and a half ago. This was one of my favorite conversations. How long have you been playing football? Like how old were you when you started? Uh, I've been playing football since I was around like five. Um, I was quarterback in Pee Wee. I, I played quarterback all throughout high school. And then um, when I got to junior college, I played receiver. And then I switched over to safety. And then when I, I got here, I played safety. Now I'm at linebacker. So I've been, I've been playing football really all my life. But I was mainly a basketball player in high school. But, you know, 
football is what life chose for me. So, yeah. So, what went into that whole process? What? Why'd you end up going with football? And I mean, how difficult of a path was it for you changing all those positions, going to junior college before you wound up here? Uh, the reason why I chose football was because I'm from a small place, um, small place called Goodlow, Texas. And I went to high school in Kearns, and, and it was small. Like, um, I graduated with about 44 people. And, you know, and I'm, I was real good at basketball, but there, w- there was no scouts, you know, coming to look at us. So I, re- I, w- I walked on for football because, you know, they, they give more scholarships, and um, I couldn't really afford to pay for my own schooling. So I, um, I walked on at a junior college for football at wide receiver. And, you know, uh, I made it. Um, so after that, I just, you know, just been giving my all, just been trying to do what I'm supposed to do. I really didn't I really didn't know too much about football. All I knew was to go out and play, you know what I'm saying? So I just been going out and giving my all. But then I, um, I was, one day I was like, coach, um, I feel like I can help the team more being on defense. So I moved to safety. And then after that, I got a scholarship here to Kansas, and um, and I've been playing safety. But but now I moved to linebacker. You know, anything to help the team. So that's that's how I've been throughout my whole life. I just want to help. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like that's what led me to playing um, football, playing uh, from wide receiver to safety to linebacker. I feel like that that's what um, helped me out. Just wanting to help. Just wanting to be a good teammate. What was that feeling like when you got the offer from Kansas, when you got scholarship offers after you did initially walk on? Um, it was really, it was really like crazy because I was like playing basketball. My high school colors are green, but I was just playing basketball in my um, high school gym. And I had on a, a blue headband <laughs> with some red shorts mm-hmm. and some blue shoes. So I was just like, and then my coach called me. He was like, "You got, you know, you got a, um, a offer from Kansas." And it was just like crazy how how it happened. But um, it's been it's really been a dream that I've been living out. Though it's just been a dream. I've always wanted to um, just do something. Like either if it was going to be basketball or football, I just wanted to do something. Do you think whenever your football career does come to a close, have you ever thought about coaching? Um. Yeah, I really have thought about coaching. I've thought about. Um, coaching the kids back at um, my hometown. I feel like they need a lot of encouragement because I come from a small place, you know, and I'm the first one to play power five football, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like a lot of kids there need encouragement because I feel like there's not a lot of encouragement there. And and hope, really, I feel like if the kids can see that I've did it, they'll have hope that they can do it, you know what I'm saying? So I really, that's what I really want to bring um, to the table as far as coaching-wise. But um, if, if that don't work out, you know, I really want to do a lot of things. I have a whole lot of things in mind that I want to do. So I really, but coaching has ran through my mind, though. I, yeah, so what's 20 years from now? What are we, what are we seeing Nate Betts doing? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, of course, going to be, I'm, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. There we go. I'm definitely going to be an entrepreneur. I feel like. I want to own businesses back in my hometown because I live in the country and there's not really much there. So I feel like I want to put some stuff there. I want to put some gyms. 
like a boys and girls club. I want to I want to do a lot of things like that back in my hometown. I think I'd be a good entrepreneur. So you play basketball. I don't know how often you get to go play basketball here at KU. Are you the best basketball player on the football team? Um, I used to be. Okay. Now, now I've uh, I've put all my time in the footballs, and I haven't really stepped on the on the court in a long time. So I don't know how my skill set is looking right now. But I used to be though. Yeah, for sure. I have a lot of confidence in saying that. <laughs> I appreciate it, Nate. Appreciate you. I I love that. Just a guy who former basketball player turned football player had to walk on at a JUCO earned his way all the way up to being a power five scholarship player and has interest off the football field wanting to be an entrepreneur and starting like boys and girls clubs back at his hometown I think just an awesome story with Nate Betts and was glad I I got to talk to him Uh, but specifically as for his on the field play KU needs what he can provide. They had poor pass coverage numbers, as we were discussing in the 4 o'clock hour, and Betts was a safety last year. He had about a 64 pass coverage grade. That would be a huge improvement for what KU got in that regard. And even still, with being a safety, he had better rush defense numbers, better tackling grades than the linebackers on average. So he should be a nice little upgrade to the linebackers, especially on those passing plays. So really excited to see what Nate Betts can bring. As far as another starter, Taiwan Berryhill, he's kind of a wild card here because he's interesting. He played limited number of snaps last year as a true freshman, 50 snaps in the 2020 season. But in the limited snaps, he had one of KU's best defensive grades. He did for the linebackers, and he's still just a freshman. He played uh, as a true freshman last year coming out of New Orleans. He was a top 40 overall player in that state, three-star recruit, obviously Louisiana, very good recruiting state, 6'2", 235 as just a freshman, really good size at the linebacker position, and he played in the final five games of last season, so he did log a little bit of experience. He had been a name that we kept hearing get popped up about guys who really showed off in the offseason and have improved their game. Here is linebacker coach Chris Simpson talking about Taiwan Berryhill. Taiwan's talented. Um, he's one of the more talented guys in the room, uh, quite honestly, because he has that combination of size, speed, strength, uh, those types of things. So he's he's still developing and maturing. Uh, he's still young. Uh, you know what I'm saying, John? So he he uh, he. But he's very talented. Um, I'm excited, uh, not just for Taiwan for right now, for this year, but in the years to come. I'm I'm excited for a guy like Taiwan Berryhill. And another guy where. His pass coverage grade was an improvement from the rest of the linebacker group on average. That should help. But what made the biggest boon for Barry Hill, because even the pass coverage grade wasn't great, it was just better than on average what KU had, the biggest boon that he provides is his run defense. He had a 73 run defense grade, which was really good. That was fourth on the team of any position. So he's a guy who can come in, be a thumper. You've heard Lance Leipold and the staff talk about needing to stop the run more. Big 12 is kind of a running league now, you know, like they still have the high-powered offensive and passing attacks, but a lot of teams have these high-powered rushing attacks and stud running backs. You have to be able to stop the run to even get to those third-down pass rushing situations where you can bring in different formations and bring in guys who are more adept at covering specifically, and he could definitely help with that. And then there's Gavin Potter, who is the other starter of this unit. Potter is the most experienced at linebacker of those three starters, because Betts, again, was a safety a season ago. Barry Hill, still just a freshman who only played in those final five games a season ago. And he started with Gavin Potter, similar to what Barry Hill did, toward the end of his freshman year. 
And that was KU just had some injuries and so forth. But he came in as a pretty high-level recruit for the KU class and got his feet wet right away as a freshman. Mixed results, but, you know, he was just a true freshman playing in Big 12 football and his body wasn't quite there yet. He just kind of had to do it out of necessity. Last year, you made steps forward in certain regards, but still wasn't the best year for Gavin Potter overall. But now in year three, might be a year that he could possibly break out. Had a chance to catch up with Gavin Potter at KU Football Media Days. Here's that conversation. Gavin, what would you say has been the biggest improvement for the linebacking core this year under the new staff? Um, I'd have to say uh, our hustle and our work ethic uh, has, has definitely changed throughout. What are some of the biggest differences in what you guys are just doing schematically in, in the 4-3 defense versus last year, maybe playing some more three-man fronts? Um, I would say just just the way that we play downhill is, is a lot different. Uh, it was it, Back then it was a little more um, like play, 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 uh, wait back, wait back, and then uh, attack and then now it's just go attack so is there a specific linebacker position you're playing or is it just kind of all over uh well i'm playing mike but uh i could play all over so is the mike are you having to take charge of a bunch of the defensive calls and where everybody's at blitz packages and so forth yeah mm-hmm. and what's that like compared to last year about the same mm-hmm. it's it's uh there there might be a little more checks a little more things i have to do but it's it's about the same it's about what i did last year too what would you say the biggest difference in your game now is than when you first walked on campus and were playing already as a freshman? Technique. Uh, I've, I've definitely learned a lot more technique. Um, when, when I first got here, I had only played one year at linebacker. So just being able to be here and learn from two different coaches has been a big plus for me because I, I can just take things out of both coaches, out of both – well, I've actually had three, but – um, I can take from all three of them and learn different things and then find out which one works for me. And then, So that's that's been one of the biggest things for me. Of the linebacker group, who's the fastest? Um, Krishan, Krishan Brown. He, uh, he's a sophomore, and, yeah, he's, he, he can move. What about the strongest? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know who the strongest would be. Any big trash talkers of the linebackers? Yeah, I would probably say that one's me. If I was going to say that was one of us, I'd probably say it's me. Yeah. Do you still hear about your your commitment to KU and, and kind of the fun <laughs> deal of there? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I hear about that every now and then. It's like it gets it gets brought up uh, every once in a while. So, yeah, I'll, I'll hear a few things. Some of my teammates will be like, wait, you're that dude? <laughs> like, uh, like, they didn't know it was me. And then they'll, like, I guess someone tells them, like, that's Gavin. So I don't <laughs> My hair's long now, so. Uh, do you have any favorite hobbies outside of football? Um, uh, I do a few things. Um, I really just I like I love to just chill and just like watch movies and new shows. But uh, I like to play games sometimes, like video games. So. Favorite TV show or movie right now? Uh, well, my favorite movie is always going to be Inception. That's that's for sure my favorite movie. Um, just a big Christopher Nolan guy through and through, Batman well, and everything. No, I just like the uh, I, I just like the whole plot and mm-hmm. and how it unravels and stuff. Like I like movies that make you think. So yeah, that's why. Okay. What are you studying at KU? Um, business and marketing. Business and marketing. Do you ever get to use anything like the creative side, like the inception into that? Um, well, so I haven't got to like get started doing that yet. I haven't even done any marketing classes yet, but. Um, 
I hope I, I hope I get to here pretty soon. Yeah. Very cool. Any TV shows you're watching right now? Uh, yeah, I'm watching a TV show called One Piece. It's, it's pretty good. Cool. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that was Gavin Potter, one of the three starting linebackers, at least listed on the initial KU football depth chart. And, and Potter did really well as a pass rusher last season, interestingly enough. And who knows, maybe if things don't work out for him at linebacker, then you do move him down to the pass rush. But seems to be working out okay if he's a listed starter right now. He, he did have troubles against the run. He had troubles in pass coverage, and he had troubles in tackling. Um, he graded under 38 in all three of those categories per pro football focus. So areas that he needs to get better are all of those, and obviously those are kind of the most prominent roles of the linebacker position. Um, those are all things that I think, specifically in, in the tackling and, and run run defense, things where his body might not have been there just yet, and you see improvement as you stick around in college, but he just got kind of thrust into the fire right away due to necessity, maybe unfair to him. But maybe it works out now because now he does have that experience to kind of add with uh, what he could provide physically if he does see that improvement. Here is the linebacker coach Chris Simpson talking about Gavin Potter. Gavin's uh, uh, really smart. Um, He's picking things up really well. Uh, He asks questions. He wants to know why. Uh, which which I'm encouraged by. I want guys to know why. I try to teach guys why. And, and okay, not just, hey, do this because this is what I need you to do. That's where it starts. But Gavin could take it to another level in terms of how does that fit in the big picture. Uh, so, he, you know, he's doing a phenomenal job there. And, and obviously he's played a lot of football here. Um, so so he understands, you know, things about the conference and, and, and the speed of, of, of what we're going to see and face and those types of things. So um, uh, Gavin's doing a great job for us right now. Right. And now he's bigger, stronger, understands the game more, you would think, has more game experience. So I would expect a big jump from Gavin Potter's game this season. Had he never played the first two years and just had time, which, again, wasn't afforded to him with the lack of depth in that linebacker room the past couple years, we'd probably be pretty darn excited to see what he looked like now because he was one of the the higher-end recruits for this team. And he's the guy, I think, who could make the biggest jump in this room from last year to what he does this year. And quite frankly, KU might need him to to be more successful at this unit and on defense overall. Those are your starting linebackers. Interesting group with Nate Betts, Taiwan Berryhill, and Gavin Potter. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joins us now on RCST on a Tuesday here. And we got a little bit of football last week with Week Zero, but this is the real first week of the college season. We'll do our college football total season preview later in the week here on RCST, but figured it would be a good time as any to preview the Big 12 with Kevin Flaherty. So, Kevin, uh, is this OU's best shot at a title under Lincoln Riley? I feel like I'm, I'm falling right back into the headline of well, can this finally be the year that OU wins a college football playoff game? But here we are once again doing it anyway. Well, and of course, the, the funny thing is, is, you know, it, it was anybody's game against Georgia, you know, back in, in that game that went into double overtime and, 
then Georgia goes into overtime with Alabama in the very next game. And so, you know, you're basically a, a coin flip away from Oklahoma not just, you know, having a college football playoff win, but also potentially a, a national championship to boot. And so when you when you look at all of that, I, I think that that, as weird as it sounds, that loss was, was really big for Oklahoma because I think – after that game, even though Oklahoma was right there and arguably should have beaten Georgia, they certainly had a had a big lead and led late in that game before Georgia came back to tie it. I think the thing that jumps out is Oklahoma understood after that loss and it's shown up since then, obviously, against Alabama and LSU, that they just didn't have the horses on defense to put them where they wanted to be in the national title hunt. They were elite offensively. They were in a spot where they could compete with anybody on that side of the ball. Obviously, Lincoln Riley calls a great game, but they just didn't have the horses and really, really, really didn't have the depth. And I think all of that's important when talking about this year's Oklahoma team, Derek, because I think when you sort of – put this team down to, to its brass tacks. I think for the first time, if you were to walk out to Oklahoma's practice and, and look at them on the hoof, you would be surprised by what they look like defensively. You would think, hey, this is a team that has a legitimate two deep defensively. They have guys now that can match up with some of the best teams in the country on that side of the ball. And so because of that, I do think that that this is probably the the best chance that Oklahoma's had, certainly since that Georgia loss, uh, but maybe even a better chance than that team, given that this year's team's probably going to be significantly more balanced. Do you think Iowa State, do you view them as the clear contender with Oklahoma, or do you think they might be closer to the pack than we might think? You know, I, I do think Iowa State's a clear-cut number two right now, and, and I know there are some people who – think Iowa State would trend closer to the number one uh, spot and might even be the pick to be number one. They returned so much production, Derek, from, from that team that obviously had success a year ago. One of the things that, that kind of scares me with Iowa State is they had those close games a year ago where if a couple of them go differently – not that Iowa State wouldn't have been a good team, but we'd be looking at them very differently, right? If Iowa State had two more losses last year, one of those losses was to, to Louisiana that they did have, and they didn't make it to the Big 12 title game, where would we be placing this Iowa State team? And I, I think that's instructive because you're only talking about, in some cases, a field goal or so of difference. And so... Is Iowa State legitimately that far ahead of somebody? When you look at Texas specifically, Texas fired its coach last year for a disappointing season, and Texas was arguably just as close to reaching the Big 12 title game, except those close games tended to not go the Longhorns' way. And so I do think that Iowa State is number two behind Oklahoma. I don't know that I would quite put Iowa State in that national title contender. I don't know that Iowa State's a team you want to see matched up with an Alabama or, or somebody like that at some point this season. At the same time, that doesn't mean Iowa State's not a top 10 team, not a top 15 team. 
And I think they have a chance to be really, really good and, and possibly, like you said, closer to Oklahoma on the front end than maybe closer to the Big 12's number three team. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Like, the TCU game was very close. And, I mean, TCU finished up 5-4, and four, but TCU loses that game. They lose by a touchdown to Kansas State early in the year, and then they, they got it going. And, and we know how well T- – I mean, TCU has the most wins in the conference over the last, I think it's decade or so, besides Oklahoma – I just wonder if with TCU maybe starting to answer some of the offensive questions when you look at the running game there and Max Duggan finally making it look like they have an incumbent quarterback back in action since Trayvon Boykin, along with what you know what you're going to get with the defense seemingly every year with Gary Patterson. Like I wouldn't be surprised at all if TCU ended up kind of spoiling the party there, but I think there's other teams too that could from that pack kind of usurp an Iowa State to where I still think Iowa State's a really good team, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, TCU or even a Texas, I feel like Texas has kind of a 7-5 and five floor, 9-3, and three, I, don't, I don't know, uh, that some type of team could have one of those seasons to usurp the Cyclones and maybe finish tied with them in the conference but have the head-to-head win. You know, it, it's funny, you know, and the Texas part that we brought up, you know, Texas lost to TCU last year by two. They lost to Oklahoma in four overtimes, and they lost to Iowa State by three. That's it. Those were all of Texas's losses, and they fired their coach for it. <laughs> like they were, I don't think a lot of people realize how close Texas was to the breakout season that they were kind of all hoping for and reaching the Big 12 title game. I think another team in the discussion, I agree with you 100% on TCU, by the way, Another one of those teams that had a lot of close games that, you know, even with all the offensive struggles and maybe with Sonny Cumbie going back to Texas Tech, there will be fewer, you know, cooks in the kitchen as far as that offense goes. I think with Quentin Johnston catching passes, with Zach Evans running the ball, uh, when you look at Max Duggan running the ball and throwing the ball, you know, that's a pretty good base for your offense, and we know that the defense will be really good. A team that I think also is kind of in that range, and a lot of the Big 12 feels like they're they're kind of in these different ranges that where you have the 7-5 and five floor, you know, 10-2 and two ceiling type of thing, is Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State returned so much off of that defense last year that, quite frankly, it was pretty good. And so I'm interested to see how good Oklahoma State's defense is this year. You know, we saw Spencer Sanders really have breakout performances throwing the ball at the end of last season. I think they have some other weapons around him offensively to where Oklahoma State's got a chance to be pretty good offensively. And with all those starters and all that production back on defense for Oklahoma State, they're a team that you don't hear really anything about that wouldn't surprise me at all to to see them, you know, right up or around the top of the the standings if things go right for them this year. Yeah, I feel like the way this is trending is that Oklahoma is going to, you know, Oklahoma always loses that one game. You got to circle that one for whatever it is. Um, <laughs> they'll go 8-1 and one in the Big 12, and who knows, maybe they will go undefeated with that improved defense. But, uh, and then I just feel like there's going to be maybe two or three teams who end up around that 6-3 and three mark, and it's just going to come down to who had the right 6-3 and three because you're 100% right. I could see Oklahoma State right there. I could see Iowa State right there. I could see TCU. I could see Texas. I think that any of those teams 
could definitely make it. Now, as far as one of those teams in, maybe if we were to tier it out, we would say tier one is Oklahoma, tier two is a some collection of those other teams. Maybe it would just be Iowa State by themselves. But which of those teams outside of Oklahoma, if I were to tell you, were to not just be good enough to make the Big 12 championship game, but to make the college football playoff? Is there one team that has that type of ceiling that you think comes from that group? I would say Iowa State probably, but you know, even if we were to leave out Iowa State, because I agree with you on the tiers, but I do think that Iowa State would be on top of that second tier. Mm-hmm. I think the other one that, that kind of jumps out, and maybe this is just an unknown, maybe it's, you know, riding what Alabama was able to do with Steve Sarkeesian's offense last year. I think Texas is really intriguing this year, Derek, especially, you know, with them tapping Hudson Card at that quarterback position. He was a guy that a lot of people that I trust and know down in Texas kind of felt like, hey, this guy is the the next really good quarterback that Texas is going to have. This is a guy that that has that it factor. He has the accuracy. He's a really good athlete. And and so if they can get that kind of quarterback play around what you know they're going to have in terms of a running game with B. John Robinson, defensively they've got athletes all over the place. You know, some of those guys that have been there for several years and – and so they're they're in spots where they've been through some wars. They've been through, you know, tough games and things like that. I think Texas, they wouldn't necessarily be my pick for number three in the conference, Derek. But if you're asking me, hey, who among that next group could potentially have a college football playoff type season? I think there are a few boxes there that maybe Texas could check that the others could Talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. All right, we're focusing too much on the top of the league. What about the bottom half of the <laughs> league where Kansas projected to finish last? If I were to tell you that Lance Leipold were to work some magic and KU was to finish ninth in the conference instead of 10th, what school do you think would be most ripe for the picking there? Texas Tech. Uh, Texas Tech, to me, you know, I, I know that they they had a, a solid year last year in terms of I think they won three conference games. So not great, but, you know, not necessarily right at the very bottom. But they went all in, Derek, on the transfer market in the offseason and went all in on the transfer portal. And and one of those guys that, that they went out to get was, was a quarterback, Tyler Shuck, you know, from Oregon. And I think a lot of people have high expectations for Shuck based on uh, his ability. He's got great size. He can, he can throw the ball. The question I have is whether he's a good fit for the air raid system that I, I'm pretty sure Sonny Cumbie is going to bring back. And I think – Derek, you know, Kansas's last game last year was against Texas Tech, and you saw in that game how much Texas Tech really wanted to run the football, right? Like it was their best play was was to line up and, and run power. That was that was what they felt comfortable doing. Now you're going with a new quarterback, you're potentially going into a relatively new system. I don't know that Shuck's skill set specifically fits the air raid. It might be that he comes out and throws for 4,500 yards, and, and I'm a moron. I mean, that's totally capable of happening. But at the same time, I think there are enough question marks there 
enough new guys and new spots and, and enough changes there that if things don't go right early on for them particularly, I, I could see sort of an avalanche effect taking taking hold there. Whereas I think the other Big 12 schools that maybe you're talking about being around that same range as Texas Tech, I think they're maybe made of a little bit sturdier stuff and a little bit better foundation for this season. Who do you think is the best offensive player in the Big 12, and who do you think is the best defensive player in the Big 12? Oh, gosh. Uh, you're putting me on the And actually, quick one. quick caveat, I'm going to say you can't pick a quarterback because it would be obvious to pick a quarterback and, you know, say Spencer Radler or whoever they have – you know, such an impact in the game. Best non-quarterback I, in the Big 12. I, I love Bijan Robinson. I'm, I'm kind of torn on this question between Bijan Robinson and Marvin Mims at, at Oklahoma with Bijan Robinson being the, the running back at Texas. He was just so explosive last year and, and produced, you know, quite a bit despite not really getting that many opportunities. And I think that when you look at how Steve Sarkeesian has utilized his running backs. I, I don't think that that's going to be an issue. I think he's he's going to get the ball plenty this year. And so I'd probably go Bijan Robinson. Uh, defensively, maybe Nick Benito at, at Oklahoma, the pass rusher. I, I think that Benito's a guy that really has a chance to have one of those, you know, 12 or 14 sack, you know, type of season. And, and if he does that and, and if Oklahoma is as good defensively as some of us feel like they could be, you know, he could really be sort of the main figure in that and make a push toward all America honors. Has has the conference kind of? I mean, I, I don't want to make this sound like oh they're just all running triple option and run heavy teams, but has it kind of shifted a little bit from being like a QB dependent league where all these teams were running the wide open spread and air raid in the early 2010s to now being one that is more balanced and does have a run-heavy influence into it? It's it shifted a bunch, for sure. I, I think, you know, Texas is going to throw the ball even with Robinson, but I think that, you know, when you look at, at what Sarkeesian has done, he's gotten the ball to his playmakers wherever those guys are at, and he has that in Robinson. Even taking that out, I think that you look at Kansas State obviously being, you know, primarily a run first offense or, or that's what they like to do. Baylor in the last year has said, you know, that they're going to go to wide zone and that's really what they want to do. Obviously, Kansas fits into that same exact sort of box, you know, with, with them hiring Lance Leipold. And, and I think, too, one of the things that, that really jumped out about it was last year. You know, it seemed like sun or sun or you know rain or, or moon or whatever. You were going to get Texas Tech throwing the ball sixty times a game, and and that just wasn't who they were. There, I mean, it, it really wasn't. That was that was the most run heavy Texas Tech team that I can remember. You know, maybe since what Byron Hansbard? You know, back in the early Big Twelve days and. and and run heavy, not necessarily just in, hey, they call run a lot, but run heavy in this is who we are, this is what we feel comfortable doing. And so I, I think you're starting to see a little bit of bounce back. And that makes a lot of sense for, for a lot of reasons. One, you know, some of the better teams in the league, you know, have run up tempo and been 
sort of those spread it out types of teams. Oklahoma had tremendous balance despite the fact that they throw it quite a bit, but teams like Kansas State, you know, Iowa State with Brees Hall, you know, all of those guys can can really they can really slow down and sort of change the tempo of a game by lining up and running the ball. And the other part of it is the league has recruited for so many years now defensively to try and slow down spread offenses. So all of a sudden you're going up against linebackers who are guys that are more comfortable playing in space. A lot of times they're just flat smaller. And all of a sudden you're, you're putting that guy into a position where he's got to fight off a fullback and fill a gap. Like it's, you know, early big 12 days. And so I do think that there has been some bounce back certainly across the league and, and definitely from what seemed like sort of peak spread season, you know, at the at the end of the uh, of the aughts or whatever, where if you weren't running spread in the Big Twelve, it, it was just kind of weird. <laughs> he is Kevin Flaherty. Check out all his work, twenty four seven Sports. Kevin, excited to uh, talk to you about real football next week. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm as excited as you are, Derek. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty, twenty four seven Sports, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017 and 1320, KLWN, depending on.